Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. November 20. On this date in history, in the year 1820, an American vessel is sunk by a sperm whale. The American whaler Essex, which hailed from Nantucket, Massachusetts, is attacked by an 80-ton sperm whale 2,000 miles from the western coast of South America. The 238-ton Essex was in pursuit of sperm whales, specifically the precious oil and bone that could be derived from them, when an enraged bull whale rammed the ship twice and capsized the vessel. The 20 crew members escaped in three open boats, but only five of the men survived the harrowing 83-day journey to the coastal waters of South America, where they were picked up by other ships. Most of the crew resorted to cannibalism during the long journey, and, at one point, men on one of the long boats drew straws to determine which of them would be shot in order to provide sustenance for the others. Three other men who had been left on the desolate Pacific island were saved later. The first capture of a sperm whale by an American vessel was in 1711, marking the birth of an important American industry that commanded a fleet of more than 700 ships by the mid-18th century. Herman Melville's classic novel, Moby Dick, in 1851, was inspired in part by the story of the Essex. November 21. On this date in history, in the year 1934, Amateur Night at the Apollo Theater. A young and gangly would-be dancer took to the stage of Harlem's Apollo Theater to participate in a harrowing tradition known as Amateur Night. Finding herself on stage as a result of pure chance, after her name was drawn out of a hat, the aspiring dancer spontaneously decided to turn singer instead, a change of heart that would prove significant not only for herself personally, but also for the future course of American popular music. The performer in question was teenaged Ella Fitzgerald, whose decision to sing, rather than dance on this day in 1934, set her on a course towards becoming a musical legend. It also led her to victory at Amateur Night at the Apollo, a weekly event that was then just a little more than a year old, but still thrives today. Born in 1917 in Newport News, Virginia, and orphaned at the age of 15, Ella Fitzgerald was a high school dropout and a ward of New York State when she made her way to the Apollo that autumn night in 1934 with two of her girlfriends. It was a bet, she later recalled. We just put our names in. We never thought we'd get the call. But Ella did get the call, and, as it happened, she came to the stage immediately after a talented and popular local dance duo. Afraid that she couldn't measure up to the dancing talents of the preceding act, Ella was petrified. I looked, 
and I saw all those people, and I said, oh my gosh, what am I going to do out here? She told the National Public Radio decades later. Everybody started laughing and said, what is she going to do? And I couldn't think of nothing else, so I tried to sing The Object of My Affection. By her own admission, Fitzgerald was blatantly imitating the singer who popularized that song, Connie Boswell of the Boswell Sisters, and the first few notes were a disaster. Rushing on stage to protect her from the jeers of the notoriously tough Apollo Theater crowd, however, was the famous amateur night master of ceremonies, Ralph Cooper, who helped Ella gather her wits and try again. On her second attempt, she brought down the house. Within the year, Ella Fitzgerald had been discovered by Chick Webb, to whose band she was legally paroled by the state of New York while still shy of her 18th birthday. It was with Webb's band that she scored her career-making hit, A Tisket, A Tasket, in 1938. But it was as a solo performer that she would become a jazz legend in the late 1940s and early 1950s as a revolutionary innovator in vocal jazz. November 22. On this date in history, in the year 1963, President John F. Kennedy is assassinated. The 35th President of the United States is assassinated while traveling through Dallas, Texas, in an open-top convertible. First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy rarely accompanied her husband on political outings, but she was beside him, along with Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife, for a 10-mile motorcade through the streets of downtown Dallas on November 22nd. Sitting in a Lincoln convertible, the Kennedys and Connollys waved at the large and enthusiastic crowds gathered along the parade route as their vehicle passed the Texas School Book Depository Building at 12.30 p.m., Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly fired three shots from the sixth floor, fatally wounding President Kennedy and seriously injuring Governor Connolly. Kennedy was pronounced dead 30 minutes later at Dallas Parkland Hospital. He was 46. Vice President Lyndon Johnson, who was three cars behind President Kennedy in the motorcade, was sworn in as the 36th President of the United States at 2.39 p.m. He took the presidential oath of office aboard Air Force One as it sat on the runway at Dallas Love Field Airport. The swearing-in was witnessed by some 30 people, including Jacqueline Kennedy, who was still wearing clothes stained with her husband's blood. Seven minutes later, the presidential jet took off for Washington. The next day, November 23rd, President Johnson issued his first proclamation declaring November 25 to be the day of national mourning for the slain president. On that Monday, hundreds of thousands of people lined the streets of Washington to watch a horse-drawn caisson bear Kennedy's body from the Capitol Rotunda to St. Matthew's Catholic Cathedral for a requiem mass. The solemn procession then continued on to the Arlington National Cemetery, where leaders of 99 nations gathered for the state funeral. Kennedy was buried with full military honors on a slope below Arlington House, where an eternal flame was lit by his widow to forever mark the grave. Lee Harvey Oswald was born in New Orleans in 1939, joined the U.S. Marines in 1956. He was discharged in 1959 and nine days later left for the Soviet Union, where he tried unsuccessfully to become a citizen. He worked in Minsk and married a Soviet woman and in 1962 was allowed to return to the United States with his wife and infant daughter. 
In early 1963, he bought a 38 revolver and rifle with a telescopic sight by mail order, and on April 10 in Dallas, he allegedly shot at and missed former U.S. Army General Edwin Walker, a figure known for his extreme right-wing views. Later that month, Oswald went to New Orleans and founded a branch of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, a pro-Castro organization. In September 1963, he went to Mexico City, where investigators allege that he attempted to secure a visa to travel to Cuba or return to the USSR. In October, he returned to Dallas and took a job at the Texas School Book Depository Building. Less than an hour after Kennedy was shot, Oswald killed a policeman who questioned him on the street near his rooming house in Dallas. Thirty minutes later, Oswald was arrested in a movie theater by police responding to reports of a suspect. He was formally arraigned on November 23rd for the murders of President Kennedy and Officer J.D. Tippett. On November 24, Oswald was brought to the basement of the Dallas police headquarters on his way for a more secure county jail. A crowd of police and press, with live television cameras rolling, gathered to witness his departure. As Oswald came into the room, Jack Ruby emerged from the crowd and fatally wounded him with a single shot from a concealed 38 revolver. Ruby, who was immediately detained, claimed that rage at Kennedy's murder was the motive for his action. Some called him a hero, but he was nonetheless charged with first-degree murder. Jack Ruby, originally known as Jacob Rubenstein, operated strip joints and dance halls in Dallas and had minor connections to organized crime. He features prominently in Kennedy assassination theories, and many believe he killed Oswald to keep him from revealing a larger conspiracy. In his trial, Ruby denied the allegation and pleaded innocent on the grounds that his great grief over Kennedy's murder had caused him to suffer psychomotor epilepsy and shot Oswald unconsciously. The jury found Ruby guilty of murder with malice and sentenced him to die. On October 1966, the Texas Court of Appeals reversed the decision on the grounds of improper admission of testimony and the fact that Ruby could not have received a fair trial in Dallas at the time. In January 1967, while awaiting a new trial to be held in Wichita Falls, Ruby died of lung cancer at a Dallas hospital. The official Warren Commission report of 1964 concluded that neither Oswald nor Ruby were part of a larger conspiracy, either domestic or international, to assassinate President Kennedy. Despite its firm conclusions, the report failed to silence conspiracy theories surrounding the event, and in 1978, the House Select Committee on Assassinations concluded in a preliminary report that Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy that may have involved multiple shooters and organized crime. The committee's findings, as with those of the Warren Commission, continue to be disputed. The 35th President of the United States was the fourth American president to be assassinated while in office. The other three were Abraham Lincoln, James Abram Garfield, and William McKinley. November 23. On this date in history, in the year 1992, the IBM Simon is introduced. It was a handheld touchscreen PDA designed by International Business Machines, IBM, and manufactured by Mitsubishi Electric. Although the term smartphone was not coined until 1995 because of Simon's features and capabilities, 
it has been retrospectively referred to as the first true smartphone. The Simon Personal Communicator was the first personal digital assistant, or PDA, to include telephony features to make phone calls. The battery lasted only an hour, and flip phones became increasingly slim, which led to its ultimate demise. With advances in MOSFET, which is Metal Oxide Semiconductor Field Effect Transistor, or MOS Transistor, technology enabling smaller integrated circuit chips, and the proliferation of wireless mobile networks, IBM engineer Frank Canova realized that chip and wireless technology was becoming small enough to use in handheld devices. IBM debuted a prototype device codenamed SweetSpot in November 1992 at Comdex, the computer and technology trade show in Las Vegas, Nevada. The SweetSpot prototype combined a mobile phone and PDA into one device, allowing the user to make and receive telephone calls, facsimiles, emails, and cellular pages. Not only did the prototype have many PDA features, including a calendar, address book, and notepad, but also demonstrated other applications such as maps, stocks, and news. Comdex show attendees and the press showed interest in the device, and the day after SweetSpot's debut, USA Today featured a photo on the front page of the money section showing Frank Canova, IBM's lead architect and inventor of the smartphone, holding the SweetSpot prototype. After a very successful prototype demonstration at Comdex, IBM began work on the commercial product, codename Angler. The IBM device was manufactured by Mitsubishi Electric, which integrated features from its own wireless PDA and cellular radio technologies while building the IBM device. IBM initially approached Motorola to manufacture the product, but Motorola rejected the offer, concerned that IBM would become a potential rival mobile manufacturer. IBM then approached Mitsubishi to build the device. Bell South executives gave the finished product its final name, Simon Personal Communicator, before its public debut at the Wireless World Conference in November 1993. Bell South Cellular sold approximately 50,000 units during its product's six months on the market. November 24. On this date in history, in the year 1971, Hijacker and criminal mastermind D.B. Cooper parachutes out of a plane. A hijacker, calling himself D.B. Cooper, parachutes from a Northwest Orient Airlines 727 into a raging thunderstorm over Washington State. He had $200,000 in ransom money in his possession. Cooper commandeered the aircraft shortly after takeoff, showing a flight attendant something that looked like a bomb and informing the crew that he wanted $200,000, four parachutes, and no funny stuff. The plane landed at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, where authorities met Cooper's demands and evacuated most of the passengers. Cooper then demanded that the plane fly toward Mexico at a low altitude and ordered the remaining crew into the cockpit. At 8.13 p.m., as the plane flew over the Lewis River in southwest Washington, the plane's pressure gauge recorded Cooper's jump from the aircraft. Wearing only wraparound sunglasses, a thin suit, and a raincoat, Cooper parachuted into a thunderstorm with winds in excess of 100 miles per hour and temperatures well below zero at the 10,000-foot altitude where he began his fall. 
The storm prevented an immediate capture, and most authorities assumed he was killed during his apparent suicidal jump. In 1980, an 8-year-old boy uncovered a stack of nearly $5,880 of the ransom money in the sands along the north bank of the Columbia River, five miles from Vancouver, Washington. The fate of Cooper still remains a mystery. November 25. On this date in history, in the year 1949, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer appears on music charts. Robert L. May created Rudolph in 1939 as an assignment for Chicago-based Montgomery Ward. The retailer had been buying and giving away coloring books for Christmas every year, and it was decided that creating their own book would save money. Robert May considered naming the reindeer Rollo or Reginald before deciding upon using the name Rudolph. May said his daughter liked reindeer, and he said he was treated like Rudolph as a child. While May was pondering how best to craft a Christmas story about a reindeer while staring out his office window in downtown Chicago, a thick fog from Lake Michigan blocked his view, giving him a flash of inspiration. Suddenly, I had it, he recalled, a nose, a bright red nose that would shine through the fog like a spotlight. In its first year of publication, Montgomery Ward distributed 2.4 million copies of Rudolph's story. The cultural significance of a red nose has changed since the story's publication. In 1930s popular culture, a bright red nose was closely associated with chronic alcoholism and drunkards, so the story idea was initially rejected. May asked his illustrator friend at Montgomery Ward, Denver Gillen, to draw a cute reindeer using zoo deer as models. The alert, bouncy character Gillen developed convinced management to support the idea. Maxton Books published the first mass-market edition of Rudolph in 1947. In 1949, May's brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, adapted the story of Rudolph into a song. Gene Autry's recording of the song hit number one on the Billboard Pop Singles chart the week of Christmas in 1949. Autry's recording sold 2.5 million copies the first year, eventually selling a total of 25 million, and it remained the second best-selling record of all time until the 1980s. November 26. On this date in history, in the year 1941, FDR establishes the modern-day Thanksgiving holiday. President Franklin D. Roosevelt signs a bill officially establishing the fourth Thursday in November as Thanksgiving Day. The tradition of celebrating the holiday on Thursday dates back to the early history of the Plymouth and Massachusetts Bay colonies, when post-harvest holidays were celebrated on the weekday regularly set aside as Lecture Day, a midweek church meeting where topical sermons were presented. A famous Thanksgiving observance occurred in the autumn of 1621 when Plymouth Governor William Bradford invited local members of the Wampanoag tribe to join the pilgrims in a festival held in gratitude for the bounty of the season. Thanksgiving became an annual custom throughout New England in the 17th century, and in 1777, the Continental Congress declared the first National American Thanksgiving following the Patriot victory at Saratoga. In 1789, 
President George Washington became the first president to proclaim a Thanksgiving holiday when, at the request of Congress, he proclaimed November 26, a Thursday, as the day of national Thanksgiving for the U.S. Constitution. However, it was not until 1863 when President Abraham Lincoln declared Thanksgiving to officially fall on the last Thursday of November that the modern holiday was celebrated nationally. With a few deviations, Lincoln's precedent was followed annually by every subsequent president until 1939. In 1939, Franklin D. Roosevelt departed from tradition by declaring November 23rd, the next to last Thursday that year as Thanksgiving Day. Considerable controversy surrounded this deviation, and some Americans refused to honor Roosevelt's declaration. For the next two years, Roosevelt repeated the unpopular proclamation, but on November 26, 1941, he admitted his mistake and signed a bill into law officially making the fourth Thursday in November the national holiday of Thanksgiving Day. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for November 20 through November 27. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming, audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect and follow us on socials, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.